Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Coming up today on KWTX at 4, a local theater company gives playwrights a chance to showcase their writing skills on the stage. And we debut the new interior design for personal space featuring fame designer Christy Proctor Hurst. Plus, we're taking a look at how artificial intelligence is slowly being used to develop and drive K-pop entertainment. KWTX at 4 starts now. Thank you so much for being with us today at 4. I'm Lauren Westbrook here with meteorologist Camille Hawksworth. If you haven't noticed changes in the weather, you might notice it in Camille's voice today. Yes. I'm just going <laughs> to give my girl some props that she's powering through and a, a little allergies. A little allergies, yes. yes. Definitely um, barely have a voice, so I'm going to try to project it a little bit today. <laughs> yes, go Camille. And it hasn't really felt like fall up until now, but we had something blow through overnight. It's changing the game. Yeah, we did that cold front mm -hmm. that came through, brought a lot of rain across parts of central Texas, and it's nice out. It's definitely cooler, but it's not the coolest weather that we will see. We actually have another cold front that comes in on Friday, so that's going to be nice. Okay, well now to our daily four. We'll get more from Camille in just a little bit on her forecast. At a time when thousands of nurses are on strike to protest staffing shortages, many nursing schools can't accept hundreds of new students. So why is that? Not only is there a shortage of nurses in clinical settings, there's a problem with having enough nursing professors to teach them. The American Association of Colleges of Nurses says more than 78,000 qualified applicants were turned away last year. Even in schools that have enough nursing faculty members, there are often not enough clinical placements for existing students in hospitals. Preceptors who train new nurses have strict limits on how many students they can supervise at one time. Aggravating the existing shortage, many nurses were burned out, as you can imagine, during the pandemic and left the profession entirely. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is pumping more than $26 million into an effort to train more nursing faculty to help address this problem. You know, when you, I saw that headline originally, I was like, wait, but don't we always need more nurses? Always. But you got to have like someone above them to manage to train yeah yeah it seems like yeah like you said it would be just like everybody wants to be a nurse but I, it's such a hard job and just like our teachers too underappreciated in so many ways yes thank you to all of our nurses in central texas and beyond now on to number two in our daily four all right, from nursing schools to nursing homes, you might be surprised to learn that the latest hotspot for retirement is actually in Texas, Austin to be exact. A new report shows a growing number of retirees are choosing to spend their golden years at the Texas Capitol. Austin is a city known for music, outdoor festivals, and young people. But between 2010 and 2020, the population of adults 64 and older uh, actually doubled. Austin also has a lower cost of living compared to bigger cities. Other U.S. cities that are gaining popularity amongst older adults also include Houston, Atlanta, Raleigh, uh, Dur Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, and Boise, Idaho, too. So how do you 
feel about that? Florida not on that list that you just gave. So that's usually what you think of with retirement. I don't know. I guess I'm not surprised for the weather because the weather is decent for the most part. Right. But the cost of living, I thought, would be a little bit more expensive to live in Austin. So Me I'm too. a little bit surprised. But you know, when you think about Austin versus other big cities like maybe like LA yeah. or New York or, th- or things like that, it, maybe you do look at the cost of living as it being lower. So that's exciting to see. We want to welcome everybody to Texas. <laughs> yeah, come on down. And that leads us to our number three in our daily four because everyone's headed to Texas for this big game. A decades old Texas OU. I say OU Texas because I went to <laughs> Oklahoma. A little biased, but whatever. This tradition got underway yesterday morning. The ROTC programs from the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma began their runs to Dallas, their halfway point, carrying game balls for the Longhorns Sooners matchup Saturday. The two groups left their campuses around 8 o'clock a.m. yesterday. Now, this tradition has been going on for 26 years. The groups run nearly 200 miles all the way to the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Saturday's game, not that I would know, starts at <laughs> 11 a.m. And by the way, they're obviously not running, like each person is not running that entire way. They're passing it off from what I understand. Oh, so see, like I didn't know Groups that. of 15 at a time. And I think local law enforcement agencies that are following their route join them along the way to help them. So Good. it's a really fun tradition. Did you know about this tradition or am I? I did. I didn't yes. know about this one. I know it's a really fun one. And of course, the game takes place inside the state fairgrounds, which was always my favorite tradition going to Oklahoma as far as football goes. It was so much fun. I know you told me that if you would win, you would get a funnel cake or something or oh, what yeah. did you oh, say I said if, if you win you're going on all the rides and celebrating and if you lose you're like on the curb with fried pickles <laughs> or your fried whatever that's that was my experience <laughs> do you know if there's any correlation to who wins the run that who would win oh, the game no that's a good question that's a really good question I haven't looked into that so we'll see. oh is it a race I don't even know is it I don't I don't think they run together a, I don't think it's a race but I'd be a really bad fan if that's the case and I didn't <laughs> know that but they're meeting there in Dallas and there there are some traditions where they guard Bevo they guard the Sooner Schooner because there's been some pranks on each other oh, in sure, the past sure. so some friendly competition there huh? yes Saturday 11 a.m. I'm ready boomer Sooner That'll be fun. (laughs) Let's take a look at number four in our daily four. All right, this is about Disney deals. Grab your Mickey ears and autograph books. Disney is offering limited time deals for children between January 8th and March 10th. Disneyland in California is offering $50 park tickets for children between the ages of three and nine. That's nearly half off the normal $98 for a regular child's ticket. These special price tickets go on sale October 24th, so coming up pretty soon. And meanwhile, Disney World in Florida also has a discount running from March 3rd to June 30th. The theme park is offering half off tickets and dining plans for children when families purchase a non-discounted four night, four day resort stay. That goes a long way when you have a family like yours, Camille, with three kids, half off each ticket. That goes a long way for sure. Yeah. And bookings for that, they open up on November 14th. Okay, when is would be your favorite time to go to Disney? That's such a hard question because you know it's they say it's the most magical place on earth. So if you combine that with like Christmas magic, maybe I don't know, maybe that would be the best time. Or yes. but you don't want it to be too. It's Florida or California, so the weather is nice. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think any time would be 
really nice to go. I've been once at it was like a day pass at Christmas time and it is really fun to see Mickey and Minnie in their Christmas outfits. And they have special like parades parade, and things, right? Yeah. As we mentioned earlier, Justin Early, my partner here on the four o'clock show is off today, but he left us with this segment. Now, two weeks ago, we reacquainted you with interior designer Christy Proctor Hurst, known for her work on the TLC show, Trading Spaces. Hello, I'm Justin Early here with Christy Proctor Hurst. We are doing the first premiere episode of personal space for you what does that mean personal space oh it it means your heart your heart and soul in where you live because what's more personal than where you live absolutely and you know when you talk about infusing your personality into a room there are lots of ways to do that and we're obviously in this beautiful bedroom which you worked on when you talk about infusing personality what are the objectives you've got to hit to meet that to meet that goal well First of all, you've got to draw the client out. You've got to figure out exactly what they really want and make sure they're not living in a land of just a Pinterest board or what they've seen on Instagram. You know, I want their real personality. A lot of times I'll start in the closet and look at what they wear. So I never would have thought that this color was one of my colors, but every time I wear this, somebody says something to me about how pretty it is or how, oh, well, your skin looks great. So you have to figure out what, what works with you. And I tend to find that people are attracted to what they wear because it makes them feel better. Yeah. Strangely enough, the last room in the house that people tend to focus on, well, it's the most intimate room in the house. And so this is your safe spot. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, you really shouldn't have a TV or a computer. Well, <laughs> who's gonna do that? But this is your place to decompress. So if you don't feel comfortable. I had a I had a, a lady one time call her bed her biscuit. Okay. You can't get more southern comfort than that. Yeah. <laughs> she has another place that is more earthy, manly. It's beautiful, but it's just not her personality. Well, I mean it is to some extent, but it's a lot of her husband. And so I said, you know, I've always wanted to do something really crazy and she said, "Go for it." I approached Kay Kagaris in town, he's an artist, a muralist in town, and I kind of gave him and the, the young man that worked with him some ideas and had already picked out the wallpaper in the bathroom, and so this was the culmination of that. And so we did a mock-up and showed it to her, and she's like, yes. And so from that, all the bedding came out, everything, the whole house basically came out of this. But she loves the outdoors, she loves plants, she's a big, plant person. Flowers are her, she loves. She loves animals. And so hidden in this are some animals. Really? So we'll have to find that in a minute. Oh, I'll yeah, show them okay. to you. Yeah, so that's kind of, and one of her other places that I worked on, we did a wallpaper that had these animals and she loved it. And so we incorporated that. Finding a bed for this wall was really hard because I didn't want something super tall. And you know, the big trend right now is the big padded beds. And I just didn't feel like that was right. So I felt like the wood bed had a warm enough feel that it almost felt woodsy, but not in a rustic way. So that's where it started. And then my bedding is one of my favorite things to do. And so she wanted an over the top bedding set. And so I just kind of played with all the colors that came out of the mural. And, and then of course we had to incorporate some animals. So. Oh, here we go, okay. We got yes. a few animals in there. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, nice. and then we have some pieces that are 
you know, for function, and we didn't want to break the bank, so we went to places like uh, Consignment Furniture. Okay. Found yeah. a great dresser, and then I have an artist friend that I'll show you some of her other work in the house, and she repurposed this piece for us that turned out absolutely gorgeous. Well, I can't use the exact words on camera. Okay. <laughs> but it was good. It was, it was good. good. She's like, oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. She loves it. And it just feels good to her. Yeah. It feels good to her. You want to spend time here. So So this is the cozy bedroom. <laughs> big cozy pillows. So let's go back over the fundamentals of personalizing a bedroom. So you want to make sure that it's truly you. Okay. Right? Yep. And you want to make sure that you're honest with yourself. Yes. <laughs> Which means not looking at a Pinterest board and decide, hey, I want this when it's really not you authentically. Yeah, and it's okay to do that to kind of figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. but, but pick out the parts of it that you like, yeah. and then we'll make a part together. And make it cozy. Yeah. So there you have it. We'll see you next time on Personal Space. Thanks, Christy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Anyone who's ever been involved in the creative process knows it is rarely easy. Renowned playwright Arthur Miller, known for many works, including The Crucible and Death of a Salesman, once said, the best work that anybody ever writes is the work that is on the verge of embarrassing him always. I love that. The Waco-based theater company Wild Imaginings is providing an opportunity for aspiring playwrights to share their work with a playwriting festival. Back in the studio to tell us more about this is Trent Clifford, the artistic director for Wild Imaginings. We appreciate you coming back to see us, Trent. And congratulations are in order. When you were here back in June, you were Trent Sutton. Yes. You got married recently. I so did. we're so happy for you. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, now Trent, I'm eager to hear all about this festival, but first let's remind everyone about what you do at Wild Imaginings. Yeah, absolutely. So Wild Imaginings is about three years old now, and it was started in an effort to tell new stories, to do theater that people might not have had the opportunity to see before. And this festival is such a beautiful culmination of that vision. Um, we are Waco's first professional theater company, and the opportunity to workshop and produce plays of the highest caliber from playwrights across the country. I mean, right here in Waco, Texas, that's the dream. Can you believe you're a part of the first professional theater company here? That's kind of surprising no, when you is. think about it's it. It's exciting. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people have an interesting idea of what theater is, I think. I don't know that people often realize how much in between there can be between community theater, which is wonderful and important, and Broadway, right? But yeah. there's a lot of in-between therein. And so we're able to fill this space where we're paying artists for the time and talent that they provide. And it's just a little bit different than someone who's looking to try out theater for the first time, for example. And it's growing based off of our conversation last year, this festival coming up. It's the Epiphanies New Works Festival running from October 12th through the 15th. What exactly is this one and how does it work? I know there's kind of a little uh, fun part of this that carried over from last year. Yeah, so the festival itself is the culmination of what's really a year-long process. So we have submissions from across the country. These are playwrights from all over submitting plays to Wild Imaginings right here in Waco. We had 300 plays that we sorted through this year. And so what we're showcasing at the festival are the top four out of these 300 plays. And what you're referencing is we'll also be pro fully producing the winner of last year's festival. So we get to carry over the best of last year's 300 alongside this year's top four. How did you choose? How did you it's, come up with the top? It is impossible. <laughs> it, it, 
really has to do with, by the time you get to four incredible plays like this, it really has to do with what is speaking to Waco, what is speaking to where we are as a theater company, what feels like a good fit for us to produce. Because truly, any of them could be chosen. They're incredible, incredible scripts written by incredible human beings that we've gotten to know over the course of these past months. Who was last year's winner? What is that production going so, to be? Are you allowed to tell us? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. <laughs> so Harley Elias is the playwright who wrote last year's winning play called The Handless King. What we're branding it is a comedy of ancient proportions. It is an uproarious comedy, but the setting is actually 7th century BCE. Like we're going way, way back, right? And it's set in ancient Assyria. It's these two scribes, and it's this moment in history in which we're transitioning from one language to another, mm. from cuneiform to Aramaic. And what's fascinating is even though it's this historical play, it feels incredibly relevant and contemporary, the conversations they're having, because it really has to do with what is progress? What is art? How do we move forward as a society? And what are we leaving behind when we do progress? Wow, that so even if you're not in this scene, it sounds like you could get something out of it. Oh, you obviously had hundreds of submissions. There's an interest here. How does the playwriting process differ from, say, writing a novel? That's a great question. I think that people think of writing as a solitary affair, oftentimes. And even in novels, you have editors and things like that. But with playwriting, it's even more important because you're not writing for someone to read you're writing for an audience to hear. And so you can work as long as you want in solitary, writing line after line, but it's hard to know if a joke is landing, if a point is being brought across until actors are breathing life into that script. And then the other layer is you're not just writing it for actors to read it. You're writing it so that actors will read it and an audience will then receive it, right? So the beauty of the festival is that for many of these playwrights, it will be an audience hearing those words performed aloud for the first time. So the an exciting thing for a Waco audience is that not only are they seeing these brand new plays, but they're actually taking part in a process of developing a play because it's the playwright's way of gauging if what they're doing is working. And as a director and performer, I'm sure you can relate to every performer or director who's got who's had that moment where it didn't land. And that's yes. a learning experience, I'm sure. So the audience engagement participation is so much a part of your growth, right? Absolutely. I mean, theater is really about a community of people engaging in this moment together. That is the play. Okay, we have a QR code on your screen right now if you'd like to learn more about Wild Imaginings. How many years have you done this particular festival? I think, well, I think you may have mentioned it earlier. Yeah, is this it, is our fourth year doing fourth the festival. Okay. It's our third time doing it in person. Our first year was all virtual because it was 2020. And good for you for taking that on. It, when it, it was a really hard time for people. I'm yes, sure they needed it was. that. It, it was really difficult, but we learned so much that first year and it really prepared us to bring it into the in-person space that next year. And now we're three years strong and only growing. Oh, congratulations. How does it make you feel that the community has given you this much support? It 
It's important. I think the festival is, I mean, I'm entirely biased, but it's one of my favorite weekends in Waco of the year. To see creative people come into a space to breathe new life into a new story is something really special. And so it's exciting to get to do that right here in Waco as opposed to having to go somewhere else. We can tell those stories here and bring them to life here. If someone's watching and they would like to or they know someone who would like to get involved with your organization, I know we have the QR code on the screen, but is there anything else they should do to reach out? Yeah, I mean, we, we're very open. We respond really well on social media and on email, but truly the best way is to come and see the work that we're doing and then meet us, meet us in person and find out a way to connect. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming back and break a leg. Thank I know you. that I shouldn't say anything else, right? That's <laughs> break a leg luck. is the best way to do okay. it. Yeah. And thank All you for right. having us back. We enjoy being Welcome back with spooky season underway. You may be in the mood for a sci-fi thriller today. News 10's Royden Ogletree gives his thoughts on a new sci-fi flick called The Creator. Welcome to Royden's Reviews, otherwise known as the low-rent version of Siskel and Ebert. I am, in fact, Royden, and this week we are reviewing The Creator from writer-director Gareth Edwards, who you may have seen his films such as Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Getting right into it, this movie came out last week. I saw an early screening of it, and I just have to say I absolutely loved it. Now, is it different from any other sci-fi movie that you've ever seen before? No, in fact, I think it's kind of a uh, amalgamation or a combination of all of those movies. But it has some ideas worth exploring, including but not limited to the use of AI in our society, which in fact writers and actors are fighting with Hollywood producers as we speak, so it seems pretty poignant. This movie stars John David Washington, who you may know from movies such as Tenant or Black Klansman, uh, Newcomer, six-year-old Madison Voyos, who plays the uh, titular AI in this movie, as well as Alfie, who I'll just get this out of the way. She is stunning. She's awesome in this movie. It stars Jimma Chan, Allison Janney, and Ken Watanabe as the recognizable names that you should know from this from other projects, rather. Now, this is a wholly original sci-fi movie, which we don't get a lot of these days. Uh, not a huge budget for this movie, if I, if I am correct, for something with as many set pieces as it has. $80 million, which of course is a lot of money, but relative to other things, including Star Wars projects, not that big. Um, it's made $33 million at the box office, so I think people will go see it or have been slow to see it. It's also going up against a Paw Patrol movie and a Saw movie, which is an interesting combination but we don't have to get into that. I really was blown away by how this movie looked, how, the, how it felt. The set design, the character design, all really felt, again, like things we have seen before in Blade Runner and in name a sci-fi movie that, but each movie copies from one another, but name another sci-fi movie. But I think that something like this, the design of the robots, the design of the AI, it felt so real. It felt like you could reach out and touch it. And I, and I really enjoyed the way that, that this world was developed. It felt like something that could seemingly happen. Now, I know we're years and years away from that, but it, it, it felt real. 
and uh, that felt kind of scary. Now, the, the story in and of itself is man has to kill AI, then comes to you know, work with AI, tale as old as time, man versus robot, man and robot joined together. This has a little bit more, uh, maybe emotional manipulation because the uh, person that's supposed to be made out to be the weapon or the bad guy in this movie is a six-year-old girl and this young actress was incredible. John David Washington, I think he shows more emotional depth in this than he has in, in recent movies. Um, I'm, I'm not quite certain he was perfectly cast in this role to carry this. He's on screen 98% of the film, but I do think he's a capable leading man. I'm not quite sure. Maybe I would have liked to see someone with who has shown the ability to have the emotional range that was needed for this film to be in that role, but he does a fine job at it. I think Gareth Edwards gets the most out of all of these characters. Gareth Edwards obviously had some larger ideas about what humanity is and where we're heading. Does it necessarily reach those goals? Does he necessarily reach those goals? I'm not quite sure. You would have to determine that for yourself. I wasn't fully convinced, again, because it felt like we were piecing together things from other films, but it, they are ideas worth exploring, and I'm glad that we got it. Now, uh, I usually tell you, if you're watching this on our 4 o'clock newscast, if you should go see this with your kids or if your kids could see it. I would say that if your kids have seen Star Wars or any recent Star Wars projects on Disney+, Plus, that this isn't going to be anything different from what they've seen. There are some scenes of peril um, and some uh, huge action sequences, which I fully enjoyed, and it, it was worth seeing in on on the big screen but i don't think that they are going to be scared or anything like that going into going into this movie now again when i say the world building and the set design this is something that i i, I just think that you have to see on the biggest screen possible including the ending set pieces which were perfectly rendered and beautiful to look at just to see all the explosions and battles and sequences that is worth the price of admission alone absolutely i think you should absolutely go support uh, visionary creators and people willing to take chances and make new things so that would be my suggestion to you if i had to give it a letter grade i'm somewhere around a b plus to an a minus personally for me now but uh yeah if you if you feel like you want to see something wholly new and nothing not a not a sequel or a prequel or what have you some different ip go see the creator it's in theaters as we speak for royden's reviews i'm royden follow me at royden ogletree on all platforms and uh, i'll see you at the movies this has been a rogue media network production